Welcome to episode 46 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with president of the Romanian Hypnosis Association and renowned international speaker and trainer, Eugene Popper. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today, I'm joined by Eugene Popper. President of the Romanian Hypnosis Association, TV show host and renowned international speaker and trainer. Today, Eugene is teaching classes all across the world and is covering a wide range of methods and techniques, both for personal development as well as therapy. I first saw him in action at last year's UK Hypnosis Convention, where he performed a live demonstration of subliminal therapy, something that I'm keen to explore with him in more detail today. Welcome to this Rapid Change Conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and I'm you know, very excited to, to do this little interview with you. Well, I have to tell you the honor is all ours and uh, thank you for joining us. And let's jump straight in. And it would be great if you could tell uh, me and, and my listeners a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do, and really how you got started. All right. So uh, my name is Eugene Popa. I'm from Romania. I'm just turning 42 in a few weeks. Um, should I tell you my star sign and shoe size and everything? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that's the most right, important okay. stuff. Now. <laughs> yeah, very important, especially for the work we do. Um, but, I mean, I started uh, I started um, taking classes. Initially, it was with NLP back in 2005, 2007. Um, and uh, during those classes, it was mentioned, you know, the uh, Milton Protocol and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, of course, just like everybody else, I was uh, bedazzled by the power of hypnosis and whatnot. So I wanted to explore that further, so I did, and then I uh, started scouring the Internet for everything related to the hypnosis. And by 2009, I went to Florida in the U.S. where I studied with Jerry Kine. And uh, from there on, I just, you know studied as much as I could, uh, traveling the world or doing it online or any other way that was possible. So um, today I'm very fortunate to be, to, you know, to, to have been trained by some of the greatest teachers out there in the world of hypnosis and not only hypnosis because some people, they don't do hypnosis, but it doesn't mean that they don't do great work. And um, like you mentioned about subliminal therapy, um, I... I'm, um, you know, subliminal therapy, it's part of a general concept of parts therapy. And uh, I love this concept because it makes work so much easier. And uh, because of that, I've pursued a lot of trainings in parts therapy concept. And um, I think today, I think I'm probably, and right now I'm just tweeting my own horn here, okay? Um, I'm, I think I'm the only person today that has, that I, I'm able to teach three different uh, schools of parts therapy, and that is subliminal therapy, parts therapy by Roy Hunter, Charles Stebbets, and also resource therapy, um, which is the brainchild of Gordon Emerson, who used to run Ego State Therapy International, which is a very established and very proper academic uh, work. Mm-hmm. And so I've studied all these people. I've studied with Jerry Khan, like I said, initially. I've also taken a few uh, stage hypnosis courses because my interest was really to 
I, you know, try to understand at least the workings of the mind and of the heart. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm on this path. I cannot say that I've discovered how it works, but I, I start to get a little glimpse, a little idea on it. I mean, in, ter- in terms of parts uh, therapy, I'm curious as to do you believe fundamentally that there really are parts or that it's a just a, a very useful framework to present to someone in order to facilitate change? It's really a framework, just as much as as conscious mind and unconscious mind are just made up concepts to help us understand what the heck is happening in mm-hmm. our brain. The same way is with parts, uh, and it all goes down to Paul Verdern, who was a, a student of of uh, Freud. He was basically the first guy who came up with the idea with the concept of parts because. Um, he basically said, well, there is a part of me who wants cookies and there's another part of me who wants salad. But in both cases, it's still me. So therefore, there must be a me who is, you know, having different aspects. I like to refer to this as, you know, different different facets of a diamond, you being the diamond, especially the ladies would love this metaphor, you know. So, <laughs> so when I tell them about the diamond, they all just glow and they totally take whatever comes after that. Um, and so I make this metaphor with a diamond saying that a diamond has several facets and they're all part of the same diamond. It doesn't necessarily, of course, mean that we have different parts which are, you know, separate from, from the cell, so to speak, but it does make for a good explanation that, you know, 99% of people would understand and would easily take on board. And once they take this concept on board, then change work happens very rapidly. So for you, and obviously this is the rapid change conversation, yeah. um, but how would you define rapid change? What does that mean to you? I think I, I like the question. I like it very much, actually. Rapid change for me is really how much do we allow ourselves to change our vantage point um, on a certain subject and by doing so, change our interpretation of it. Changing the interpretation changes the way we uh, feel and think about it, and therefore changes the way that that particular subject situation will influence us. I think it's a very long-winded answer. Let's mm-hmm. let me let's try and make it shorter. So rapid change equals changing our interpretation. Oh, that is shorter. I like it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it, it's good. So one of the, the things that certainly my regular listeners will, will know is that my belief around change is that I think change can happen quickly. I think it's normal for change to happen, but sometimes it doesn't, it can take a little while to get to the point where change can happen quickly. Like, you're, yeah. like you're trying to find the, the, the right piece of the puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. so how, how, I guess really where I'm going with this is I'm, I'm curious to find out what are your, how do you set the expectations for, with a client of what's possible for them when they ring up and you've never worked with them? Well, I actually learned something very beautiful from Ron Esslinger. He, he brought this up in, in the teacher training course I had with him back in 2012, I think. And he mentioned something about uh, there's a book that he presented in his course where he mentioned hypnosis in the Bible or he lays, hypnosis in religion. And from there, I took these questions. It's a series of three questions that I set up before I do a session with someone. And it's it's a golden nugget right here, of course, because I say so. So so here it goes. When I start working with someone, my first question is, number one, do you believe that your problem can be solved? And he goes, yes or no. And I'll, I'll just go with the yes answers, and then I'll tackle the no answers, if that's okay. Is that okay? Yep. All right. So I say, do you believe that this problem of yours can be solved? Yes. Do you believe that whatever we do here in this session can help you? Yes. Do you believe that I can help you? Yes. Then we start working. And this way, I set up expectations, and I also um, employ something which is called escalation of engagement, right? Mm-hmm. I got the three yeses, and I also set myself up to be able to help him. If he says no to any of the questions, then my uh, second option is, well, I say, do you believe that what, whatever that your problem can be solved? And if he says no, then I say, do you believe that it can ha- be helped just a little bit? It's impossible for someone to say no to that question. 
So again, I'll get I'll get a yes. Do you believe that whatever we do in this session can help you achieve that goal? And if they say, I don't know, I'm not sure, maybe, then I say, okay, well, do you believe that it can help just like 1% to make you feel better? Yes. So then I go to the last question. Do you believe that I can help you 1% to get better? Yes. And that way, I set it up so that before the session starts, we already have a direction that even if the door is not completely open to change, at least we just put our foot in the door. And then we'll just, through the work we do afterwards, we can crack the door more and more open. And and I'm curious because one thing that's going on, and I, I actually wanted to talk to you about, um, certainly having seen the demonstration of subliminal therapy, yeah, is this idea of responsibility for the change. You're asking them to do, to get feedback from uh, Centrum, yeah, this kind of higher uh, intelligence. Intelligence. Yeah. That's a, you have the words. I, I I don't. What can I say? And um, <laughs> but that when they they almost seem quite passive, and they're kind of just a vessel waiting to get responses from Centrum about yeah. the direction this is moving in. And one thought that I had was, whilst it absolutely seems effective, do they not? Is there not a risk that they're, they're taking away a feeling of? that they're passive in the process. They're not responsible for their own change. It's happening with something higher than I, them. Well, their responsibility, remember, if you remember the demonstration, I, I, I totally get where you're going with this because some people like to believe that I changed, I done this, and it was through my own effort and through my own two hours crying my eyes out and stuff like that. And, and most people think that for in order for change to happen, it has to be difficult. It has to be long winded. It has to be very, you know, effortful and a lot of tears to be shed. And it doesn't have to be that way. But um, also, you're forgetting that the the change worker has to have a goatee beard. Yeah, that's right. And and it has to be stroke. You know, like you know, you have to strike the goatee beard with the left hand. Yeah, <laughs> but their their responsibility, and that's why I tell them. If you remember in the session, I've done that. I I told the person I was working with. I said. I'm going to ask you something, and I know it's very, very difficult, you know, in, in, in parentheses here, painting a picture for them that they have something very difficult to do, and I'm not lying to them because it is very difficult. And I said to them, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very difficult, very important also, but if you do it, we'll have results. So right there, I set up the, the show, the scene, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I say, what I want you to do is absolutely nothing, and, you know, you'll, you won't believe how many weird, angry looks I got from people by asking them to do nothing. It's basically I'm telling them from this point on, I don't care about you. You don't exist for me. You're just uh, like uh, the um, handler, you know, handle for the phone. So I don't, I don't need you. I only need to talk to Centrum. So all your work, all you have to do is absolutely nothing. And that means... I don't need your opinion. I don't need your beliefs. I don't need to know what you think and what you'd like to happen. I only need you to tell me what Centrum says. So you just shut up. And that's very difficult for people to do. So for people that are listening and are thinking, hang on, I, I think I missed that. What, what's Centrum? How would you explain what, <laughs> what Centrum is? And right, so how, how is subliminal therapy different from, you know, typical, you know, parts therapy? Right. Well, um, in all parts therapy, basically the concept is that there are different parts of ourselves, our minds or our hearts or our beings, whatever you want to call it, that perform different un- uh, functions, different actions in our lives. So um, that's valid for subliminal therapy, that's valid for parts therapy, that's valid for any other parts therapy concept. Uh, what subliminal therapy brings new to the table is the concept of a central part and Dr. Yeager, the one who created this method, he called it Centrum simply not to confuse anyone because some people, they believe in higher self. Some people believe in Atman. Some people believe in the God within. Some people don't believe in anything. And um, if you don't believe in anything, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, all of these terms would not work for you. But nobody ever, I, I've nev- never encountered anyone who had a problem with a concept of a higher intelligence that it is within us. As in, when I say higher intelligence, I don't mean in an extraterrestrial sense, but more in the, 
there's a part of me who actually knows better and I don't listen to it. Mm-hmm. And like when I have a hunch or an inspiration or whatever. So I ask people, so do you accept the idea that there's always this party inside of you that knows best for you? Yes, I do believe in that. I, I, I can accept this idea. All right. Well, this is the part I want to connect with. And this part we're going to call centrum just to make it easy for us to work. And then after we've established this concept in the mind, in the, in the mind of the client, then I build up this concept of centrum. And how do I build it up? Well, I tell the client, this central part is the oldest, is the wisest, is the most powerful of all. And he already gave me a three yeses in the beginning of the session. He already accepted the concept. He's not going to have any, or she's not going to have any difficulty in accepting the picture I'm painting about Centrum as being almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, I said, now what I need to do is to communicate directly to Centrum and what I need you to do, which is a very important job, is to do absolutely nothing. To just relay to me, back and forth, answers and messages from Centrum to me and from me to Centrum. Can you do that? And then they'll say, yes, I can do that. Well, that's all I need you to do. And then I start doing the work. I really like the framing of that, that they have this kind of, this this part that's this higher intelligence, Centrum, yeah. And, and am I right in thinking that, that one of the ways in which that's different from maybe parts therapy is if we talk directly to, for example, in inverted commas, the part of them that has the problem? Yeah. Well, it might go, well, I don't want this. This is a good thing to do. I like having the problem. But if you're talking to the higher intelligence that wants what's best, that's the wisest, that's the oldest part yeah. of them, then you're less likely to get resistance because guess what? It's Exactly. Okay. And sometimes in the session... You might, because basically what you do, you talk to the problem, the part with the problem through centrum, through the client's conscious mind. So basically, it's like I'm saying, client, tell centrum to say this to the part, <laughs> okay? So yeah. it's like a two middleman here. But sometimes we get the part saying, I don't want to change or I don't want to disappear. And if we get this situation, you know, normally if I wouldn't use centrum as the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful then we would have a bottleneck. But because Centrum has the veto right in the whole thing, then I say, oh, no, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Either way, it's going to be my way. Yeah. And then I just say, Centrum, you know, you deal with it. When you're done, let me know. I, I love the idea that, we, you know, that there's this beautiful frame that's created that allows you to... to deal effectively with resistant parts in inverted commas. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and uh, you know, when you say resistant part, it, you know, it's not so much as resistant. It's more like the part has forgotten its purpose or the part, um, you know, wants to, you know, basically throw a tr- tantrum or, you know, whatever other reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's okay. You know, that's why I say, we can do this either way, the highway or my way. It's going to be my way anyway. So, so out of interest, because obviously, as you mentioned, you know, you've trained in a number of different disciplines. Yeah. When someone comes to see you um, therapeutically, what's your kind of? Is there a particular protocol method you use in your client sessions, or do you flip between different things that you know? I flip between different things that I know. For instance, yesterday I had a client who had the problem with her sexuality, with her intimate uh, interaction. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically there I have not used sublimnotherapy. I've used uh, a method which I've developed, which is I'm, I'm calling it the never-ending story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually planning to present this in the UK convention in uh, this year in, in November. Um, and so I use that and then I use some NLP. But then I also, she came up with a different issue, and there I used uh, a parse therapy method. So um, the, the good thing when you know more techniques is that you can jump from one to the next. For instance, the swan works perfectly with subliminal therapy, hand mm-hmm. in hand. Yeah. It, you know, they work Qu- beautifully. Quite literally. Come again? Qu- quite literally hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Quite literally, exactly. I couldn't yeah. put my finger on why, but it, I think it works well. Yeah, they work very, very good. Um, and But what I suggest to people, especially if they're in... Actually, no. I mean, 
whether you're a seasoned professional or you're just starting up, my suggestion is if you learn a new technique, use try to use to use this technique with as many as clients as possible. Um, and for instance, when I learned subliminal therapy, I set my goal that for one year I'm going to use subliminal therapy for all the clients that came through my door. And so even though I found it difficult at times, I found it very hard at times, I pushed myself to use almost exclusively subliminal therapy because I wanted to learn and to understand it better. And I've done that for a year, and then I went on to do resource therapy and then other methods. But for me, this worked best um, because most people, what they intend to do is when they learn a new method, they immediately try to mix, mix it with what they already know and sometimes that's not a good idea yeah rather than taking the time to really hone and really develop it exactly. and get it yeah, working exactly. yeah yeah no i i think that's that's you know really valid and um i think there are people who go from sort of course to course don't they they become addicted to learning new methods yeah. new protocols new techniques and then they i've seen people suffer from you know overwhelm someone comes in and they go i've got this problem and they go oh i just i, I don't even know what to do now there's too many things that i could do what what, what do we do now yeah 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 i know i know the feeling <laughs> i mm -hmm. used to be <laughs> so i many people may have pricked up their ears when you said the never-ending uh, story, uh, and you you mentioned you'll be talking about that at the UK Hypnosis Convention next year. Um, yeah. Could you give us a sneak preview as to what that's all about? Sure. So basically, um, we all have stories in our heads. However, we are not aware of them, or we are aware only of the beginning of the story, not the end. And it is the end that scares us, not the beginning. For instance, um, let's say somebody says, I'm afraid of heights. Really, they are not afraid of heights. They are afraid of what's going to happen to them when they fall. Mm -hmm. And so when people say, I'm afraid of heights or I'm afraid of closed spaces, it's not afraid of that. But, you know, they have this idea in their head, like, I'm afraid of this. And then the rest of the story as in, let's say, let's take this example with afraid of heights, right? So they say I'm afraid of heights, and then I start talking. So how how do you how does that exactly happen? And then they go, well, I'm seeing myself up there, and then I go, so what happens next? And then they go, well, I see myself falling, and then I see myself splatter on the ground, and then I see my brains all over the place. You know, talking about being um, gory details here, but yeah. you know what I mean. And so. That's what scares them, not the height. And But these details, they will not pop out unless you ask them about it. And once they, they give out the details, they suddenly realize they're not so afraid anymore. So basically what I do, and, you know, this, um, I'm actually, you know, like I said, I'm going to put out this process, uh, the UK convention, and actually even planning on running a book on it. What I actually do is I help people finish their stories. The lady that came yesterday in, you know, she said, I have some problem with my sexual life. And I said, so what's the problem? They say, she, she was saying, um, well, when I think of sex, I find it very disgusting and uh, repelling, you know. So I said, well, you know, when you think of sex, what comes to your mind? And she goes, well, it's my mom having sex with my dad. And, and then we went into the details, and she gave me very, very clear details about that. Once we've got the whole story, then she was like, hmm, I don't feel that anymore. It's not like, it's weird. You know, just, just talking about it changes the perception because the story, it's much bigger in our heads than it is when we speak it out or write it down on paper. Mm -hmm. And basically... This method helps people tell their stories, finish the story, rather, I would say. This idea of the stories that people have is an interesting one to me. And I think in the last episode that actually just got launched uh, on the podcast, um, someone, uh, I, I, the lady I was interviewing, said that a lot of change happens when we become conscious. We help people become conscious of things that were 
up until then had been unconscious or outside of their <laughs> conscious awareness. Yeah. Is that kind of akin to, to what you're implying there? Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Because those stories, like I said, at the beginning is conscious. We are aware, as in I'm afraid of heights. However, the movie, the story continues in the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind doesn't give you the whole story. It just gives you the outcome and the outcome is you're fucked, basically, right? Yeah. And you don't want to be that way. And that, you know, subconscious, you know, the, the idea that subconscious purpose of the subconscious mind is to protect you. So the subconscious mind doesn't want you to be in that situation and therefore is going to create a reaction, an adverse reaction to that situation. And so the whole story happens unconsciously, unaware to us. But now as you start, you know, picking up the details, as you start going into detail and, and, and dragging those details out of the client, with every detail that the client says, he becomes more aware. And awareness brings resolution. God, that sounded good. Let me quote on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awareness creates resolution. Eugene Popper. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I really like that. I, I really like that uh, and as a way of thinking. Would you say that hypnosis arguably is simply the manipulation of awareness? I would say hypnosis is a uh, mise-en-scene. It's, it's a little theater that we throw in um, in order for people to accept the change that is already within them. Um, people need an excuse for their change. They cannot accept that they can just change just like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, hypnosis comes in as a very nice gimmick and a very nice toy to play with uh, that they believe that, you know, by doing that, they will change. Uh, and it's not limited to that, but for most people, that's how it works. You know, if you take somebody who believes in hypnosis, whatever you say to them, if you tell them that they are hypnotized, the results of the session is going to be very, very powerful. However, if the same person does not believe in hypnosis and in, in the effects of hypnosis, you can say they are hypnotized and the results will be much less. So it's really on the setup of the mind of the person. And so hypnosis can help you create a, a, a setup, a, a, a space wherein change can happen. Mm-hmm. If this setup is believable by the client, then you'll have change. If it's not believable by the client, you will not have any change. Little, it sounds a little bit like sugar, uh, that they say, you know, sugar helps the medicine go down. Uh, yeah. It's like hypnosis helps the change happen, but it's not yeah. necessarily where the change occurs. It just makes it a little more palatable and easy to believe. Exactly. Well, one of the things I tell people is this. Listen. In order for change to happen, no matter what kind of change, you have to have the right setup. You have to have the right space wherein the change will happen. So example in case is if somebody comes in and says, I want to be better at sports, then how, where would I project? What kind of image would I paint in this person's mind? Would I paint an image of him being in a hospital room or being in the sports court? And from that that space will have to be pertaining to the goal that is desired makes sense uh, absolutely and and i actually want to take you back to something that you said on yeah. the rapid fire round and by the yeah. way for those of you who haven't noticed if you scroll down on the page there is the rapid fire round that you can listen to and that's eight questions in two minutes where Eugene was put through his paces and actually got a stunning time of about one minute, 20 seconds. <laughs> All right. Yeah. For, you know, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, but one of the, one of the questions was, can you think of a concept or an idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? And I think it was interesting because you said, yes, the use of negation in hypnosis. And I, you know, what I took that to mean was, um, I, I know a lot of uh, hypnotists and hypnotic uh, suggestions revolve around you being only positive, and they say things like, you know, that your your unconscious mind does not process negation very well. Yeah. So um, I was wondering whether you could elaborate more on that answer. That was uh, really curious and interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, 
if you look at all the hypnosis trainings in the world, um, in 80% of them, you'll find the same ideas, several r rules of the mind, uh, use of negation, and some of them are pre-archaic. But, um, you know, this idea of the subconscious mind does not process negation, it does process it, absolutely. However, it's the way you make use of it. Because think about it this way. Um, how, how is that, how does that stand, this affirmation that subconscious mind does not process negation? How is that, that if you create in somebody a negative hallucination, how would that work if the subconscious mind would not receive negative suggestions? You know, in, in basically what I'm saying is, if you do hypnosis someone and take them to somnambulism and they say, you know, I have something in my hand, but when you open your eyes, you won't see it. And they won't see it. And right there, that's a negative suggestion. How does that work if the rule says, you know, the subconscious mind does not process the negative? It does process it, but it doesn't process it, I would say, in a functional way. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so what do I mean by this? I mean, if I say to you, let's say, uh, and, and I'll, I'll take this one step forward. Um, think of people who are wanting to stop smoking. You tell them you are a non-smoker and you will be a non-smoker, right? So right there, that is a negation. And most of the time, that will work. People will get suggestions. However, if I were to put the positive versus negative uh, suggestions, as in uh, uh, using the no within a sentence, then, of course, I would rather use the positive. And it's a very simple reason for which I'm doing that. And the reason is not that the subconscious mind does not process negation. It's a different reason. And here's my reason. is I tell people, so what do you want? And they say, I don't want to be sad anymore. And then ask, well, okay, I can give you that suggestion that you are not sad anymore, but what is the focus of this sentence? It's the sadness. That's the focus of the sentence. So it's not the subconscious mind does not process negation, but actually more than that, the subconscious mind picks up on the target of the sentence, and the target is sadness. So it's like instead of you going towards joy, you're constantly running away from sadness. So you are basically moving forward by looking backwards. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason for which I use positive suggestions. But the subconscious mind does process negation. I mean, look at, you know, at all the, what do I call it? Uh, all, you know, all of the studies done on, on, on mental processes and all of the research done on how the mind works. I have not seen an academic paper. Maybe it's my, my, my mistake here, but I have not seen any research paper saying that the subconscious mind does not process negation. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting distinction that you make, you know, which is that it, it obviously does process it. Um, and then it's how you use the way in which it processes it to, to best use. Yeah, it comes the uh, interesting question. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, but, to keep things safe for people who just start using this, you know, it's much easier to tell them just don't use negations than to give them a long-winded answer that sometimes is hard to grasp. Yeah. So most of the time just stick to, you know, don't use negation and that's it. End of story. <laughs> yeah, which which leads me on to something else, which I think, you know, uh, I, I think perhaps you can relate to, which is, Let's imagine someone goes on a, a basic training course and they're told, you know, there's the carte blanche rule of, hey, don't use negation. Yeah. The danger is, is that they take that as an absolute cast truth. iron rule, a truth. Yeah. And then they, you know, inevitably a year later, they decide that they're going to set up now and train other people. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, are spurned. Are, are, there's a birth of thousands more uh, hypnotists all spouting the absolute factual truth of we must never use negation. Exactly. So my question is right there, how do you know that's true? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you've been told so, and everybody in the business says so, but has, uh, you know, has anyone actually tried and, and did something about it? 
like a test. Let's let, let's take, you know, 10, 20, 50 people, split them in two groups and test this one with negation and this one without negation and see what the results are. Yeah. And I'll tell you why that doesn't stand from a neurological standpoint. For instance, when you use um, hypnosis or suggestion for pain management, um, basically pain is a signal that tells your brain that something is wrong somewhere in your body, okay? Now, when you, you, when you use hypnosis, you can cover that signal, but it doesn't mean that the brain does not perceive it anymore. It does perceive it. However, it does not trans transfer that perception into pain. It's just a sensation, not a pain sensation. So the sensation continues to exist. The brain picks up on it. However, it will not send the message forward into the conscious mind, into consciousness. So if you, if you hypnotize someone and say, you will not feel anything when I touch you here, or you have no perception when I touch you here, consciously, they won't. But unconsciously, if you put electrodes on their hand and if you scan their brain activity, their brain will pick up on the sensation. However, they will say, I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. So the subconscious mind does perceive the sensation, but it will not send that signal forward into consciousness. So the person will say, I don't feel anything. Consciously. That's really interesting. I like that. I like especially, that. Especially when it comes to pain, there is no pain without awareness of it. There is no pain outside of consciousness. I if you're you... not aware of it, if you're not conscious of it, then there is no pain. And please, you said it that way, because I thought you were about to say, if there's no pain, there's no gain. <laughs> Fuck that. No. Um, it, interestingly enough, one of the other things that you mentioned on the rapid fire round was the most important belief for a change worker to have. And you said something that you'd actually said to me um, when we were speaking, even before we agreed that you did the podcast, um, which was that you, you think that people take their problems too seriously. Yeah. I love that. Tell me, tell so, me more. Yes. <laughs> this, I hope everybody will quote on me on this, I don't need to have trademark on it or anything, but the more people will pick up on this, the happier world we would live in. If Basically, you could make this a very serious answer, though. Yes, yeah, it's very serious. So, yes. <laughs> let me spell it out for you. The cause, there's only one cause to all problems, to all sorrows, to all suffering. Now, if you ask Buddha, he would say, the cause of all suffering is ignorance. And I totally agree with it. Basically, ignorance in lay terms would be stupidity. But my take on this is the cause to all sufferings is people take themselves too seriously. They believe so much in their problem and they take it so serious that they lock themselves in. So I tell this to all my clients. If you would make a little fun of yourself or of your problem, and I'm not saying that the problem is not serious. The problem can be serious. It's not about how serious the problem is. Is about how serious you take it. Yeah. And, and I think, actually, arguably, the more serious, in inverted commas, the problem, the more seriously we have to consider being unserious about it. Yeah. I mean, the more serious the problem is, then, therefore, the more hard work you'll take to fix it and the more difficult it'll be to fix it and so on and so forth because we associate problem with effort with pain and so on and so forth and there is no effort or pain if the problem is not serious is it for sure but most people find value in taking their problems so seriously because it makes them feel important you know you have so many clients coming to you and say you know i have this problem and i'm sure you had other clients like me who had the same problem but mine is special Mine is difficult. I've had so many doctors tell me that, oh, it's so hard for you. It's so difficult for you. And you believed it. I just like half an hour ago, I was talking to a lady on, on, on Facebook who wanted to come for a session. And she said, my doctor told me that I had PTSD. I need 12 sessions to fix that. And she asked me my rate. And I told her my rate. And she said, it's a bit too expensive for me. I said, well, you don't have to have 12 sessions. And said, well, doctors in the UK and also doctors in Romania tell me that I need that. Well, then go ahead and talk to them. That's, uh, well, I mean, again, that's, that's a theme that we've explored 
uh, a number of times on, on being the, the Rapid Change Matters podcast. And, and with that in mind, I'm wondering whether you would be prepared to share a couple of real examples of people that have seen you over the years who have come in one way very quickly in a session, two sessions they've left, and they're transformed and that they can't believe it. Stories that would make other people that are sitting there from perhaps traditional counseling, psychotherapy backgrounds go, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for instance, you know, the, the, the method I was telling about the never ending story. Um, basically, I was talking to my assistant. We were in the kitchen. You know, she, I was pr- fixing some food. I don't know what. And she, she, I mean, she's been with us for like two years now. And she said, Oh, you know, I actually, I have a phobia of snakes. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and, um, we got to talk about it. I got her to give me the details. And 15 minutes later, I was like, so what about snakes? And I was like, oh, I like that. You know, and that was like a 15 minutes talk in the kitchen while I was making a sandwich. So um, it doesn't have to take long. You just have to have the right questions at the right time with the right person. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, like, for instance, I had this client who came in and uh, I was using subliminal therapy with him. And I said to him, listen. We're going to do this session, and um, as we're going through the motions here, uh, as change will happen in your subconscious mind, there might be some certain reactions that come out. And if they do, just let them be. And as we're going through the session, he started to shake, he started to cry, he started to gasp. And um, in the end of the session, he looked at me, he was like, what the fuck was that? And I said, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. Do you have the problem anymore, yes or no? And he said, I I don't think I do. And then he went home and he said, you know, that's it. Job done. You know, one session, 40 minutes. There's this lady, which was, I'm so sorry I didn't record that because that was like the perfect example. I had this lady who came in and she had this panic attacks, you know, this phobia. And actually it was a mix of the two. But really she had panic attacks. And I did a regression with her. Uh, It was a very old lady, like 60 years plus. And she... As we were going through the session, she started gasping. She was choking. And, I mean, for a moment, I, I imagined myself doing a mouth-to-mouth on her because she was, she was really losing it. Like, you know, dropped on the floor from the couch and kicking with her legs and screaming. And I was like, okay, then, you know, let her do her shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were done, she was, you know, back to her old, very nice lady, very, you know, sweet lady. And I asked her, so how are you doing? And she's like, I'm totally fine. You know, I don't know what happened, but I feel fine now. And I mean, there are so many situations like this, so many, so many stories that would, would, would be like this. And I'm not saying that all the sessions have to be like this. I'm not saying that it's the same with every client, that you do it in 15 minutes or whatever. I have a client that I've seen regularly for, you know, like the past two years. And but she comes to me for like, um, I don't know, her be monthly dose. You know, she just came in today, two hours ago, and she said, you know, I just, you know, I, it makes me feel good when you do a session with me. So I just do, you know, very, you know, wonderful session of relaxation and cleaning up. Um, but it, it doesn't have to take long sessions. And on the other hand, I have to say this. It doesn't mean that every session is 15, 20 minutes or half an hour. Sometimes you have clients where you do it for three, four or five sessions, and that's perfectly fine. I would not, and I used to do this, and this is one of the other problems, mistakes that I see in the world of therapy, that people sell one session wonders. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I know I have people who say it's not, it's not that it doesn't work because I don't say it. I don't do it. It's not because it is not wrong because I don't do it. That's what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that actually when people ask me, so how many sessions do I need? I always tell them, I don't know. How can I know? It's impossible for me to know how many sessions you need because I would have to work with you. And in the end of that session, I can tell you, let's see each other one more time or not. Um, and that's based on what shows up, what comes up during the session. For some situation, you know, people say, yeah, but normally how many sessions do you need? Well, I said, you know, you, you, you're still trying to get a number from me. And if that makes you feel good, let's say in your in, 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 in situations like yours, I the average is 2.35 sessions. Take that home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay. <laughs> so... 
it, people people like to sell the you know one session wonder. I, I I don't like that. I used to do it, and then I figure out it's not correct. Even if most of my sessions, even if most of my clients, they revolve over one or two sessions, I don't say it's a one session because I don't know. Yeah. I tell them take home the result, call me back in a week, let me know how it goes, and we'll take it from there. I, I mean, I think there is, and I've talked with people before about this, that a, a kind of dark side to presenting change as being too rapid, uh, which is, you know, whilst we've all seen people can change quickly, if it's presented to someone who first rings up as though, well, absolutely, everybody can be sorted easily and in one session guaranteed, then if you meet the person who can't be, then yeah. rather than them going away thinking, well, hey, hang on a second, I am doing better. I'm 50% better. This is good. They can yeah. kind of feel like, oh, no, maybe everyone else yeah. can be fixed. And it's I mean, not you're helpful. not a butcher. You know, if you go to a butcher and say, oh, you know, put your hand here, I'll just chop it. And that's it. One session. Yeah. You know, that's not it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other... Let me lobotomize you, please. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean, I was interested about your, your next presentation at the UK Hypnosis Convention, but not if it's a lobotomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I won't go there yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, are there any um, books, standout reads, that if people are interested in getting into this kind of work that you would recommend? Oh, boy. You know, I... I actually, and I was going to say to my shame, but I'm not ashamed of it. I don't read that many books as I actually watch videos and mm -hmm. listen to audios. Um, what I would suggest, I mean, it's, I, you know, I actually I'm lost for words right here with this question because there's so many things I could recommend. And at the same time, it's not one single thing that I would recommend. Um, so if, if you had to give like two or three as places to start, obviously under the premise that we know there's huge amounts of stuff out there that, yeah, yeah. you know, um, but what, what would be the two or three that, that pop into your mind first? What I would suggest is, uh, you know, get Dave Elman's hypnotherapy book. Mm -hmm. I would suggest uh, study Gilboin. And um, I, I would suggest also study something on metaphors. Because both Dave Elman and Gilboin would be, you know, very, uh, what do you call, directive hypnosis, whereas metaphors are very beautiful if you know how to use them. Mm -hmm. And some people do use them, but do so unknowingly, as in they do so by using a hunch, not by using science, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And there is a science to metaphors. And um, that's, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, you know, study both parts when i started using hypnosis and when i started learning hypnosis um 90 of my training revolved around direct hypnosis and um <clears throat> i was taught that you know ericksonian hypnosis is crap and it's just boring and uh, uh i was also you know taught that psychotherapy is bullshit and it doesn't help and that's just wrong i i do not you know stand by that anymore mm -hmm. because Everything can help. And I, what I tell my, my students is this. I don't care what method you use. I don't care what you call it. I don't care how you do it. All I care is that you get a result. And if you do get a result, as long as whatever you do is moral and ethic and respects the client, then do whatever. It doesn't matter. That's great. And and all the people who are listening to this podcast right now, um, when they're keen to find out more from you and uh, hear more about the stuff that you do, where should they go? How can they get in touch? Um, well, my website is eugenepopa.com, E-U-G-E-N-P-O-P-A. So it's not Eugene as in English, but Eugene as in Romanian. <laughs> so E-U-G-E-N-P-O-P-A.com. Mm -hmm. And my email address is contact at eugenepopa.com. Fantastic. Well, as promised, we will put all of the links and all of the recommendations and uh, references underneath uh, your episode as well. So they're nice and easy for people to find. Um, f finally, uh, Eugene, I have um, the last question, which is this. If um, 
when we talked about you coming on the Rapid Change podcast, is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, um, but that I hasn't come up because I haven't asked directly? <laughs> um, well, there's nothing coming to my mind, but all I can say is, is going back to don't take yourself too seriously and also don't take clients too seriously. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't care about them or that you laugh off them. Um, actually, now that I say this, I would I, I have to add this. <clears throat> when you do therapy, whatever your belief system is, leave it out of the door. Because you'll have people that come in believing that they have a problem from a past life. And again, my job is not to judge their belief system. My job is to help them get results. And uh, if the client says, I'm in a past life or I'm in 2,000 lives ago or I'm in a future life, I don't care. I don't care if you've been abducted by aliens or not. I don't care if, if you've been a, um, a spider in a previous life. It does not matter. What matters is can I help you get the result you came in for? And if I can do that, then I'll be happy. And if I can do that, I'll be very happy too. Because your result does not, I'm not responsible for the result of the client. I'm responsible for me doing the best that I can based on my experience, on my information, on my knowledge. And if I cannot do that, well, that's all I can do. And maybe I'll refer it to someone else or maybe I'll try better next time. But you know, I'll give you more, <laughs> more information now. So one thing is you're not responsible for the client's success. You're responsible for your own efforts. You also, I, my suggestion is don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take the client too seriously. And there was another one I said I forget now. I, I think that's great advice. And what a, what a great way to, to finish up what I think has been a, a really interesting uh, conversation. And I just hope the listeners found it as interesting uh, as I have. Uh, and thank you again, Eugene, for spending some time with us. Thank you so us. much for the opportunity. It's, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.